Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash trinity radio. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Trinity Radio. We have arrived again at long last. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is... Jonathan Pritchett. And we're so glad that you're here with us now, too. And today, uh, first of all, before I say anything else, I want to thank Bassman Junior 100. Thank you for becoming a channel member. That is so cool. And we are so excited to uh, have you here with us. Welcome to the party. Yeah, so uh, I'm glad that you all showed up. And uh, I want to tell you all about something that is very important to me. And to Trinity Radio at this very moment. We have a lot of friends at Trinity Radio. We are friends with uh, quite a number of, of um, YouTubers as Some well as scholars. Some of them are in, scholars. The, in the chat right now. Yeah, the, Daniel I, you, Apologetics, Adam Coleman. Of course. Of course, Drew you ID, are yeah. our friends. And um, Santi's out there somewhere. Many late. of you have channels, but even if you don't have channels, you're, you're our friends. We, we, yeah. we love you. Um, when we meet, see someone new in the comments that interacts with us, we, we don't feel like that's just somebody out there on YouTube. We, um, we, we feel like we made a new friend because we are not influencers. Um, I think the term <laughs> you're not an influencer. You're not either. According to the metrics, we're, oh, I'm not. we're considered micro influencers, oh, dang it. <laughs> but he, here's the thing that I want you to understand is, um, that, uh, we, we love, we love all these people, but there's someone who, you know, if you look out at the larger debate world, the conference circuit, the, the books and things like that. You get names like uh, William Lane Craig, Mike Lycona, and people like of that sort. When you look on YouTube, YouTube is a completely different world, as you all know, or else you wouldn't be here. And it surprised me to find just a couple of years ago when I finally started really paying more attention to YouTube. We had had a show on YouTube for a while. I really started paying attention to it. And I found that um, the guy who arguably, the Christian who arguably was the most dominant in debates at the time who was who we could rightly call a YouTuber was um, and is a guy named Michael Jones. Perhaps you've heard of inspiring philosophy, Michael Jones. I um, like Michael Jones. IP has become a friend. Jonathan, you like Michael Jones? I love Michael Jones. Yeah. And so, um, so, you may not know this, or maybe you do, but uh, w- one of the things that Inspiring Philosophy really does with it, and we are going to get to the topic, just hang with me, but w- one of the things that Michael Jones does with his videos is he breaks all the YouTube rules. I mean, you're supposed to put your face on all the thumbnails. You're supposed to, um, ha- you're supposed to be in the video. Michael Jones' voice is about all we get. I mean, we see all his research. We see everything that he puts into it in terms of production, but we never see Michael Jones, or at least... Very, very rarely. Well, he uh, has put that to use to create something really, really special. And that is his upcoming documentary on Exodus. 
he has an hour and a half or an hour and 15 minute long. Really, you should call it a documentary, not just a YouTube video. When you say YouTube video, you know, that that's what we're doing right now. But but this is a documentary. And um, and here's the uh, graphic for it. And it's coming out on March 26th of this year. It's going to hit YouTube. I don't think you have to pay anything for it. You say, well, Braxton, how do you know that it's going to be good? I know that this is going to be good because guess what, Pritchett? You've seen it. I've already seen it. And it's good. It would have been better if he would have known that you are a world famous documentary host and if he would have had your face in the video and narrating yeah. it. That would have. That we would could have, have dubbed IP's voice over my face. <laughs> uh, it is true that I made a documentary in Turkey with a Turkish And nobody film has seen it yet. Nobody's seen it yet. It's still in. That was like, what, two, three years ago now? Uh, 2018. So when are they going to get around to putting that out? Uh, It it needs to be out. And I always say very, very soon, but but who knows? Um, But here's here's the thing I want you guys to understand. Um, I'm really excited about this thing. I I don't want to tell you what's in it. I can't tell you what's in it. Um, But I can tell you this. It represents, um, unless you're just an A&E nerd and just you live for ancient Near Eastern type stuff, unless you you just read all those books and that's what you live for you're going to hear some evidence and some data related to the Exodus that you have never heard before. You probably have never heard before and a take on it that makes a lot of sense. And one thing that you will be able to do with this video, you'll be able to share that video every time a skeptic says there is no evidence that the Exodus of the Jews ever happened. You'll be able to say, hold on, wait just a second. Let me go look. IP, IP, here it is. Yep, I already had it in a document that I set up for this very purpose so that I would have IP videos and Trinity Radio videos on hand. And then you'll just copy and paste that into Twitter and that'll be the end. Um, so so anyway, uh, be excited for that. Now, here's what I want you to do. I don't hype our stuff usually as much as I am hyping this, but I want to hype it for this reason. I'm excited it's about better it. better than and, our and, stuff. And right? I want you to go be there when it premieres. It's going to premiere. It really helps with the algorithms and stuff on YouTube if you're there during a premiere. So when he premieres this, please make it a point to be there on that date. He will post updates, I'm sure, on that if you just go check out his channel at Inspiring Philosophy. But also um, uh, just know that it's going to be on the 26th. So once again, before we get started, just want you to know that uh, it's going to be March 26th of this year, Exodus Rediscovered. It's going to blow your mind. And... Um, I'm, I'm super, super excited about this. Super excited about this. Because it's not really in my wheelhouse. It's not really my thing. Genesis is my thing, but Exodus is a bit different. And so, um, yeah. All right. Uh, first of all, uh, let me just get to this before we get started. I see uh, logical, plausible, probable says, so you're checking influencer stats. Going to give you grief in perpetuity. As Keep well up you awesome should. Content. Yes. Braxton, I hope you beat writer's block. Yeah, I said I had writer's block earlier this week, so I gave yeah. my testimony. That's Hey, that's what pastors do when they have writer's block. They, well, tonight we're going to do Q&A night, or we're going to do testimony night, or music night. But, uh, but yeah, so um, I don't know how early subscribers get it, Jamie Russell. I, we I, don't, uh, uh, this I don't is, know the answer. We don't that. have a thumbs down yet. This yeah. is not good. We're supposed to get we didn't we usually get one before we start and we don't have any yet. Somebody yeah. go thumb this down. Well, like now we're going to get 20 thumbs down. Yeah, it's hurting. Where's the the guy that always thumbs down before we start? It's like, "Oh, Bintu. 
thumb down. Okay, that so guy? today, Pritchett... This um, doesn't feel the same. Uh, let's just go ahead and break open the Pritchett can. Okay. Um, today, Pritchett, what we're going to do is we are going to take a look at some... Um, you know, there's a video by Seth Andrews, who's one of the big atheist podcasters. He has a YouTube channel, too, but he's primarily a podcaster. And he has a video that has thousands upon thousands of views that is uh christianity made me talk like an idiot yeah. um ha, there they go yeah. exploded yeah. but he christianity made me talk like an idiot well um i thought about making a video that says unbelievers made me talk like an idiot or make make you talk like an idiot but i thought that would be too combative and i don't actually mean that but what i do want to show is um that unbelievers say the darndest things and really, this is not just poking fun at, um, you know, we got accused, Jonathan, in an email from someone who is a Christian of the, that what we do on this show is just merrymaking and making fun of people. And that is not what we do. No, it's what I do. <laughs> it's not what we do. It's what I do. Just say that guy that shows up on the live stream does that. Leave Braxton out of it. He's so nice. <laughs> That's what well, I do. I appreciate and you know you what? It's fun. That. It's fun. You, if you want, there's there's enough content. You can go watch something else if you like other the way other people do it. Nick Quint is in the audience, and Nick Quint, you need to avail yourself of the theology geek fitness workout routines because you need it, buddy. We all need it. Yeah, um, I've been I've been keeping up with my workout routine. <laughs> So so anyway, uh, did you do any exercise while we were snowed at, snowed in? Yeah, I walked. You walked. I walked. You, but, tell them where you walk. Since we're just merry make anyway, just no. We're gonna get to the point, but yeah, yeah. I we have. I don't live in a lavish place, but it does have an indoor pool, and I walk around the pool. It's carpeted. Yeah. I walk around the pool. Um, I think it's like two hundred and sixty something. It's times. not in his house. It's at a, it's the Makes the, the rec center at your condo thing, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay, so made so, it sound like I, I have this indoor pool. Yeah, in the back. So we're not here just to do merrymaking. What we are here to do is a little bit of merrymaking, but primarily, I really want to impress upon you because I think this Andy Armstrong, who works here at Trinity and is a lifelong friend of mine, he points this out all the time. And and he's a biology graduate, and he he taught he so so he and he went through a period of severe doubt and all those kind of things. But one thing he likes to point out all the time. Good job, is, Nick. Is that look. When you take like atheism on its face, that's one thing. But when you shake it out and you see what all falls out of atheism, the the implications that it has, and I know we hear all the time, atheism is not a worldview. Um, but when your worldview includes atheism, typically there are some things that shake out in that, um, in the playing out of that, that are, or if you want to say it this way, when theism is excluded from your worldview, there are some things that, that shake out of that that are really bizarre and kind of, uh, strike against some of the most meaningful things about being human. And uh, it's not just that they strike against the most meaningful things about being human. It's that these are things that I think that we know are true. Um, and uh, so we're going to talk about some of those things uh, today. And the first person we're going to look at is David Hume. So I'm going to play a short little um, clip of someone explaining Hume's thoughts. And what we're talking about primarily here is personal identity. Now we've talked a lot about the continuity of identity over time. And I had a discussion with Chris Date of Rethinking Hell and of Theopologetics just the other day about um, how it is that a Christian who is also a physicalist who doesn't believe in the soul can affirm uh, personal identity, uh, continue, the continuity of identity over time. We're going to talk a little bit about some of that stuff, but l let's just get what Hume thinks about whether you 
have a self. For Hume, if we look inside ourselves, we cannot find an impression, that is, an idea of a self as a substance. In other words, we cannot experience the self concretely. Hence, for Hume, we have no reason to suppose that we are selves, or mind, or souls. As Hume famously says, we are just a bunch of impressions. This means that, like the idea of an ultimate or necessary cause, the idea of self is natural and inevitable. We are inclined to think about the self because we exist, because we are accustomed to it. However, for Hume, like the idea of an ultimate and necessary cause, the idea of a self is a mere fiction. Again, the idea of the self is anything but a bundle of impressions, or in other words, the idea of the self is just a supposition. Indeed, for Hume, the idea of the self is simply an idea, and there is no guarantee that it exists in reality. Again, it is natural to talk about it because we exist, because we are accustomed to it. But to suppose that there is, within us, an unchanging substance called the self is an illusion. At least for at least for Hume. So mm -hmm. you see what's going on there with uh, with Hume is what you so he would ask you to think about uh, when you're angry. Um, do, do you have an impression of yourself and that you're angry or do you just have an impression of anger when you're in pain? Do you have an impression of yourself being in pain or do you have an impression of pain? And what he wants to point out is there is no impression. There is no access you have to this other substance self. All you have access to are the impressions. And so as a result of that, you are a bundle of impressions. A way of thinking about this might be like an orchestra so that, um, you, you know, there, there's individual little things going on. You could live without any one of them and you could add other ones to it, but, but they create something that seems unified um, in that way. But, but the idea is that, that you are a bundle of impressions. But, but, to, but this means that not only are you not the same self, that you were 10 years ago. It's there's not, no self to have. There's, there's no self to be the same over the, over time. And, um, you know, uh, one, one of the lines that, that comes up a lot with people when they're first realizing this is to say, listen, any worldview that requires you to conclude that you don't exist is probably one you should avoid. Now that's putting it too simplistically, but the point is this is a really problematic view. I mean, think about what this means. If you accept this, um, and, and, and you conclude that this is true, how, how can you conclude that what we're saying concluded this was true was a bundle of impressions? And this well, is, what this is impression of, of, of the bundle, even. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it, it, bundle theory is a mess, and it's been rightly discarded. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, and, and, and it's got contemporary champions, um, a similar self- Deniers like Alex Rosenberg, for example, is is a contemporary philosopher who rejects. Yeah, William Lane Craig asked him, yeah. "Who wrote your book?" Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. And if and if and if no one, then why should I take it seriously? Right. Uh, but well, and he also asserted that none of the words in his book even have any real meaning. Yeah. So. 
So this is one thing, and it yeah. does go along with this whole idea that you know, if if you're well, in this case, an empiricist, but specifically if you're a materialist or a physicalist, as a Christian or not as a Christian, one of the things, and, and if you've listened to this channel for long, you've heard us cover it before, but um, but if 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 naturalism is true, and I should be clear, there are unbelievers for sure, and there are even atheists who are not naturalists. But if you are a naturalist, then that that means that there isn't this other substance, this other um, uh, the, and by substance, we don't mean a natural substance. We mean it can be material or immaterial, but this other substance that, um, that is your soul or your mind kind of in a Cartesian sort of way that is, um, that is there. And so you are whatever you are at one particular time. And so, um, if you, if you go back 10 years, it's a different arrangement of imp not just of physical matter, but also of impressions, different impressions. And so uh, one of the things that often gets brought up and we've talked about it on the show is um, one of the ways that philosophers have thought about this is to think about, um, and this is in Plutarch, the ship of Theseus, where Theseus has to go and fight the Minotaur, Minotaur and um, the guy who owns the place where the Minotaur is, his daughter helps Theseus get out and he has to save these kids and all this whole thing. But he comes back on a ship and they celebrate and they, they save his ship. And over a period of time, every part of the ship is replaced. Um, over a period of years. So then the question is, is that still Theseus's ship or is it not Theseus's ship? Because none of the same material that was there before is there now. It's completely replaced. Or as I did in my discussion with Chris Day, so look, what, what if you have an axe that just has two parts, the axe head and the axe handle, and the head has been changed three times and the handle's been changed five times? Is that the same axe? Now to me, and philosophers do debate this, but to me, my intuitions tell me, and I don't think just my intuition, my logic tells me that is not the same axe. But physicalists, including Chris Tate, will say, no, if we can guarantee that there was someone there who, who was with it the whole time through all the changes, it's still the same axe. So you can listen to our discussion on that for a more robust uh, defense of that from Chris Tate. But the fact is, I, I think that falls out. And when we look at the fact, the idea that you are just a physical body, then we have this problem that that even atheistic philosophers talk about, which is how is it that not only are you a self, but how is it that there is something unchanged? Because to be a self means we're talking about something that doesn't change uh, over time, that, that, that doesn't you know change such that it's not what it is. And so how do you anchor personal identity? Some people try to do it with um, neurons firing and things like that. But again, every cell in your body just about uh, cycles out or or changes. Uh, maybe maybe you can anchor it in memories, but that doesn't work because I don't have any memories from before I was like let's say four years old. Does that mean I didn't? I'm a different person than I was before I was four years old. And some people latch onto that and say, well, yes, of course you're a different person. Well, but we mean that poetically. Jonathan, since he's lost all this weight, is a different person than he was before, but he's still the same personal identity. Mm -hmm. um, just a extremely more attractive and confident one. That's right. And so, well, um, I don't know. I don't think I lacked in confidence uh, when I was heavier. <laughs> you don't have more confidence now than you did before. It depends on confidence in what. I mean, you know, uh, in your like, physical appearance. Oh well, that sure. But as far as like, I'm just as what other people have accused me of being arrogant, right? I'm arrogant. I'm just as arrogant, which is what weak-minded people call confidence because they're insecure. But yeah, I mean, in that sense, yeah, uh, I'm no more or less confident than I was. But as far as like my appearance, yeah, maybe. 
Yeah. So there's all kinds of interesting stuff to say about that. But the, the, the simplest thing is when we're talking about our personal identity, what do we have access to? Yeah. It's not like I lost when I lost 70 pounds, I didn't lose part of my identity or myself, right? I lost excess weight, but you can't say that any more than, um, like Eric would argue, you know, you're not less of a person. You're not less of the same person. If you lose a body part, say if you're an amputee, for example, you don't become less of the self than you were. So same thing about if you if you lose 40 pounds or 70 pounds or whatever, you, you don't become less you. You're no longer not the same person that endured over time since your conception to the present. So. Yeah. But, but people want to say now nah, there was never a you in the first place, which we all that's. Yeah, so it's the darndest thing. It's the darndest thing. So, so honestly, atheist asks a question that's not exactly what we're talking about right now, but I'll get to it. Well, Trevor asked a question about Romans seven, and I want to get back to that. Okay, we'll do that Q and A. He says, "Do you well, distinguish between meaning and real meaning in a sentence like words don't have any real meaning, or are these two phrases equivalent?" So, if you go with someone like, well, first let me say this. So, in order for something to have ultimate meaning, or what you're calling real meaning, like objective meaning, I think what's needed there ultimately is a maker for that thing or someone who is formally creating a meaning. And there are different types when you get into SART, but so I can, I can give a stick a meaning and say it's a walking stick and, and that's fine. But if I create a shovel, for example, a pre-existing matter, I, as the creator of that shovel can imbue it with a meaning and a purpose. And this is why it was made. That's what we can say about it. It was made for this purpose to shovel dirt or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and human beings have, are made. We are made. And therefore, if we have a maker, we are made with an objective purpose. And so that purpose would be whatever God wants us, wants uh, our purpose to be, which would be to glorify him, love him and love others. Um, and so, so that's what I'd say. So with words, yes, words have meanings because people created words to mean something. Yeah. And they correspond to things that are, and they correspond to objectively real things. Right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's that's how I'd answer that question. Um, what, like you said, we should probably just get to questions. Wait to the Q and A. Yeah, but but we'll get into Romans. That's a funny. <laughs> All right, question. so there's Hume. I think that's super interesting. All right, uh, here's another one that's been going around lately, and I will say about this one, it still falls under uh, unbelievers say the darndest things. Yeah. However, um, it's something that not every uh, atheist, let's say, will say. Uh, some do, and that is that uh, rocks are atheists. Now, rocks are atheists has emerged because of this idea of atheism as a lack of belief. So the idea is all you have to do is think about, well, what lacks a belief? Well, um, everything that's not a theist lacks belief in 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 uh, God. So yeah. so that means uh, rocks and trees. And, and you know what that means? That means that the population of atheists in the United States has not only grown since this idea has come forward, it has grown dramatically like every physical atom or subatomic particle in in the universe is an atheist by this uh by this and even notion. though he was speaking hyperbolically um the rocks and the trees are not atheists they would cry out if they <laughs> that's right yeah, <laughs> so, that's right. so i mean and and, and i say hi hyperbolically but but jesus did have a point there because i mean as the famous t-shirt says look at the trees yeah so even you know and the heavens declare the glory of the lord so yeah. i take issue with the fact uh, that someone would assert that rocks are atheists. Uh, no. Yeah, because, you know, first of all, they're even even barring all of that. There's data, a debate. Are rocks atheists? <laughs> well, 
I say no on the face of it because they're not conscious beings. Right. In fact, let's get uh, some something from an. They're ad- not belief lackers. Let, right. Let's, let yeah. They're not belief lacking agents. Let let's get a uh, let's get some thoughts from an agnostic who bears the title agnostic instead of lack of belief atheist, and that which is which I appreciate. Thank you for yeah. yeah. And that is Steve McRae. Here's what he has to say. Well, okay. <laughs> um, that goes back a while uh, to a person named Bionic Dance who uh, didn't know much about logic and doesn't know much about philosophy. And even though she kind of gets it right from her particular way of looking at logic, it's not the, the way to, right way to look at logic. Because what she does is this. She basically says there's – and by the way, I don't, she doesn't exactly relate it this way. You have to kind of parse it out. There's a universal set, and in the universal set, you have two complementary sets. You have everything that's in one set, and you have everything that's not in that set, the negation of that set, right? So if I have U as a universal set, then I have A prime, and I have A. So anything not in one set has to be in the other. Does that make sense? Yep. Either you're an apple, you're not an apple. Duck, not duck, right? Everything in the universe has to be in one of these two categories, for the most part. We're dealing with classical logic. Mm-hmm. So she argues that if you're not a theist, then... You're not theist. And she she basically says not theist means atheist. Arndt is the same thing. This is a semantic argument at this point. It changes from a logical argument to a semantic argument because now they're saying that they're not theist. We're going to call that atheist. So now you have a dichotomy between theism and atheism that's artificial because that's not exactly how it is in philosophy. But everything that exists must be in one of those two categories, right. including rocks. Yeah. Okay, well, if rocks are not a theist – What's the only other category available to them mm. according to their type of dichotomous relationships yeah. that they've – these artificial relationships that they've settled right. Well, so, then yeah. rock, rock would be an atheist, right? right? That's how they're arguing it. Yeah. So the problem so, here would be the false dichotomy between uh, – no, that there needs – yeah, that there needs to be another – problem here would be the false dichotomy. Yeah, so this, so this started to get boring, but yeah. the, <laughs> it, sometimes the clips boring. don't seem so long to me when I'm putting them together because I'm on double speed. But the point is, you, you got the point. If you think about things like, well, everything in reality is either a theist or an atheist, then yeah, rocks are atheists, but that's not the way you should think about it. You can think about um, everything is either a theist or not a theist, and rocks are not theists, but that doesn't mean that they are atheists. And that's an important distinction to make. Yeah. Uh, but there's a further problem, even if you, if you, even with conscious experiencers, um, a, a lot of times these same atheists will say that babies, infants, are atheists, and that likewise, I don't think, um, makes a lot of sense for obvious reasons. Right. Um, they, they are, they might, they may. <laughs> that's an interesting discussion. They might not be theists, but that doesn't ma- make them atheists right. or agnostic, for that right. matter. Um, this. So, so the rocks are atheist thing is uh, the the purpose of language should be to clarify ideas yeah. and that only confuses ideas. Yeah. Uh, let's look we at a couple two, of super yeah. chats real quick. First of all, Angel WVM says, "Just because you guys are awesome, thank well, you, Angel WVM. We think you are awesome. That's right. Thank you so much for that super chat. Really, really appreciate that. Yes. And uh, real, real quick, uh, let's see, where is it? Pigs can fly. Pigs can fly says. Thank you, sir. I wonder why people listen to the likes of Hume and Nietzsche when their lives were literal wrecks and show the ends of their worldview to be lackluster or self-destructive. We live in an age of insanity. God help us. Well, well, well I want to separate two things there. You're right that nobody should really actually 
listen to them in, in the sense of heeding, but what they say, but you should read Nietzsche. Braxton doesn't like Nietzsche, but my my, my friend John Winters. I, I read too. Hold up now. I, I mean, you, you didn't you didn't care for it. It's, he's not your cup of tea. But like my friend John That's Winters, love Christian I mean, just, man. Huh? I'm a Christian. Well, so is my friend John Winters, but he just loves. He's a huge Nietzsche fan because it's an enliv- uh, enlivening read. It's the same with Hume. It, well, let me let me break in here and say something real yeah. quick. And then you can carry. So you're on. right. No one should listen to them, but you should read them. They're great. Right. Nietzsche. So I, I read um, on what is it on the uh, evolution of morals? That's not genealogy. It. On the genealogy of morals. That's right. And I read uh, the saith, thus spoke Zarathustra, um, and uh, just just in the past couple of years. And if you didn't already, if you weren't already familiar with the ideas in. Thus spoke Zarathustra. Now the, the the genealogy of morals was interesting, but if you if you weren't already familiar with the stuff that it's in thus spoke, thus spoke Zarathustra, you, you would you would uh, it, it might be more I- engaging. But since these ideas, because he said them probably partly, yeah, because these have already been discussed to death, that book is. I'm sorry if this makes me sound like not scholarly about it or whatever that was incredibly boring <laughs> incredibly boring yeah it's it depends i mean I, but aren't you glad that you read read the books though? yeah right yeah so you're right no one should listen to these people as in so far i mean you should listen to hear what they're saying but as far as heed what they're saying no but i mean like nietzsche's the the he's the eschatological theologian of atheism right i mean as far as and atheism has its own theology and you know yeah because we haven't mentioned it in a while, I'll just mention, you can audit courses at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary, where we're both professors. Go to trinitysem.edu. And in my um, History of Philosophy course, I discuss the parallels of all the theologians in atheism throughout history, and which atheist teach, teaches uh, the atheist eschatology, which one teaches the soteriology, which one teaches their ecclesiology. And it's a lot of fun, because they, they actually have what I call, that's why I always say scientists are just another religion, um, you know, they have their own sort of sacrifices and their own rituals and all of this. So same thing with atheists. They, they have theological or atheological disciplines, too. And so, you know, with the eternal return or whatever, that's a good uh, way of how an atheist would approximate some sort of eschatology. So it's real interesting stuff. Uh, so you should read these authors as time allows. But, yeah, listen to what they say as far as heating it. Nah. And thank you for that substantial super chat. I really, really, really yeah, appreciate that. Awesome. All right, let's move on to the next one. And that is from the debate that I had with Dan Barker on free will. What I want you to notice here, you need to know about Dan Barker, is that Dan Barker views um, free will as being an illusion. So he thinks it's a useful illusion, and he calls himself a, um, oh, what does he call himself? A, uh, not a compatibilist, but an, I don't know what he, I forget what he, an awe compatibilist, something like that. But, but the point is, he thinks that he believes in determinism, but he thinks it's important to hold on to the language of free will, the illusion of free will. And so to my mind, this sounded like he was saying, let's pretend. So let's hear how this goes in the discussion. Wait, that illusion before, that I have that we do have free will. Isn't what? I agree with, put that comment up there. I agree with that comment right there. This one? Uh, no, right below it. See, if you define atheism the way scholars do, not not these YouTuber popularizers, but but yeah, um, a- babies aren't atheists because they don't believe that God exists. Now, what they'll what they'll say in response to that is, no, if you define atheism as lacking a belief in God, 
uh, babies lack belief in God because they lack beliefs in most things, right? Which I don't know that that's actually true. Um, they actually believe if they cry long enough, they'll eventually get fed if that habit forms at an early age, right? They know they babies can intuitively figure out what works, you know, what kind of behaviors work. So um, what kind of beliefs babies have? That's hard, hard to say. But I don't think that, that merely lacking a belief makes someone an atheist. Because I do think that when you define atheism as lack of belief, you're still making a conscious decision to identify yourself as having a lack of something to distinguish yourself from those people like Braxton and I who are theists. And since I don't think babies are making those kinds of decisions, I don't think that even the lack theism works for babies. All right. So here we go on free will. That hey. illusion that I have that we do have free will is very precious. I think it's one of the main reasons that give meaning to our human existence. Okay, right there. I'm sorry, Justin, but, but that is a very important feature. I agree with you 100%. And as I was reading that, I thought, okay, well, I don't, I don't think you'll like this term any more than lie. But, I, but you just bear with me here. Perhaps a convention like this is a pretense. We're pretending as though uh, it's as if. I mean, that sounds like we're saying we're pretending that this is true. And to say that it's one of the most meaningful parts of being human but we're just pretending because it makes us feel good or makes society function better. Sounds more like what atheists typically say to Christian folk. Uh, well, you, it's, which, not pretending, which was, it's not pretending out of, you know, uh, out of nothing. It's a part of who we are as evolved creatures. We are social animals that have parts of our brains that are wired because we are social animals. And as a group, we have these things, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Sean Carroll talks about the game of baseball, for example. I wish we could have more live baseball, but uh, you won't find baseball in the laws of physics. It's not there. And you could maybe theoretically analyze a baseball game down to the subatomic particles to see what's going on. But that's not what we mean by baseball. Baseball is this convention or a game of chess is this social agreement that we have or a dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill or a, or, or a, a pound over there in, in, uh, in Woking, is that where you are? That's, yeah. So the, these are social conventions that we don't pretend that we are lying to ourselves when we say that this $1 bill is worth less than a $100 bill. It's just paper with ink on it. But we do know that we socially have come to some agreements that this is what this means. It's not a lie. And it, it maybe it's a pretense, but what's wrong with pretending it because it does work? There's no harm in us agreeing about is, the value is, of things. Is, is there not something that's a great pity um, yeah, so, so again, for those of you that might be just showing up, we're not here just to make fun of atheists with this or unbelievers. We the haven't idea, made fun of anybody. The idea is to show we said that when you accept atheism or when you subtract theism from a worldview, I understand that atheism is not a worldview, but when you subtract theism from a worldview, and especially if you, if you're, if you go with a naturalism or a materialism, then there are things that shake out that seem to square poorly with at least our intuitive understanding of reality and our intuitions about the things that we hold most dear. What I love about this clip is that Dan Barker says, I think free will is, is one of the most meaningful things about being a human being. If he didn't say that exactly there, he does say something. He tries to get it out. I think he misspoke, but he says it in his book. Okay. It's one of the most meaningful things about being a human, but we're pretending. And I, and he says, yeah, it, okay, we're pretending, but what's wrong with that? Well, it's consistent to say we're pretending. I appreciate that he's consistent on that. 
But think about what that means. You're saying it's one of the most meaningful things about being human and it's not real. It's just pretend. And that's why it did occur to me to say in that moment, and I'm glad I did that, that, um, that, that, so you're, you know, it's not true, but you're pretending that it is true because it makes you feel good. That sounds like what atheists accuse Christians of. And I think that that's a, a valid point. Now, um, back on the atheism thing, I know we're going to get to questions in a minute, but I'm so pleased to see that real atheology has showed up in the chat here and says, I completely agree that atheism isn't a lack of belief, but do you think that lack theists took up the definition because of how apologists kept on saying that atheists needed to be 100% certain? No, uh, there's actually a, I saw, uh, another atheist who went through a, a video tracing the, the history of the, the, the change in definition. It was an intentional way of defining atheism, not to get away from apologists, but as a way to not have to, to, to have a burden of proof to make any sort of claims that they'd have to defend. But I, I do think there is some kind of a burden of proof, even on a lack theist yeah. understanding, because you, because then you, uh, assuming that, the, if the person is a lack theist because they say they've looked at the evidence on both sides or whatever, then, then they, then they need to explain why they find it not compelling. Yeah. Why, what, what's wrong with these arguments? Yeah. But there is an atheist who made that video I'm referencing too, because he doesn't like this lack theism stuff uh, either. And so I, I actually, uh, but also I, you know, I'm one of those Christians and, the, and I think this is uh, I, of the, of the apologists that are kind of in my sphere not talking about like um, people whose only interest is young earth creationism or uh, people like that, but but the people in my or presuppositionalists, I I don't say you have to be a hundred percent certain, yeah. um, and that was the reason why uh, when I was on capturing Christianity and we did the whole discussion there about um, why do you keep comparing God to Santa Claus if you you're comparing something that you lack a belief in to something that you actively believe does not exist. Um, okay, we, we talked percentages there. So at what point do you start to feel, and I'm not calling anyone disingenuous, I'm saying at what point would you start to feel disingenuous on the scale if we're talking negative 100, uh, then zero, then 100, Well, 100 is belief, and uh, or God does exist, and negative 100 is God does not exist, and if you're at 10, okay, well, or a negative, wait, no, let's say negative 90, okay, doesn't it seem disingenuous not to say, I'm an atheist in the stronger sense well, of a hard atheist. To, to, their, to their credit, though, the smarter ones um, will say it depends on which god you want to talk about out of the thousands of gods that I'm, uh, my, my degree is like, because some atheists who lack a belief in a god or gods are going to say when it comes to the god of the philosophers or when it comes to the Christian god or if it comes to Zeus or Thor or whoever— you know, yeah, I, I actively disbelieve in it. But there could be other gods that, that you could, maybe it's the God yeah, of the Yeah, and that's one thing that got teased out right. in the responses that people made to that is they say, yeah. you, you're conflating. But I'm not. You can just run the, what Cameron called the hunter dilemma twice. You can say, you can say, okay, if you're talking about just deism or just uh, some, the God of the philosophers, well, then uh, we shouldn't expect, if you're saying that's what I lack a belief in, then we shouldn't expect to hear you speaking of a general God and comparing it to Santa Claus that you actively disbelieve in. If we're talking about the Christian God and you actively disbelieve in the Christian God, okay, fine, compare it to Santa Claus, but then be ready to bear the burden of proof. So, right. I, you know, that's that's kind of how I think that goes. But real atheology, thank you for showing yeah. up, as with everyone else who has shown up. As for this free will business and, and you know... Wait, 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 yeah. wait, because I forgot. Yeah. This is unbelievable. Jason Miles, what... What? 
what are you doing, man? Thank you so, mm, so, wow. so much. That is incre- That is an incredible blessing. And yes. um, I- I'm just blown away. Uh, it means so much. I, you remember when we someone gave a huge amount one time like that and I almost cried? Yeah. That was, <laughs> that was I'm, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. That is um, that is super generous. He says, I learned so much from you guys. You both do a great job. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you so much, Jason Miles. That's thank you unbelievable. So much. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, and pigs can fly. Thank you for that substantial super chat. Yes, Dr. Pritchard, I meant that in the sense of adherence. I should have cleared that, clarified that. Thank you for shedding light on the fact that those who misunderstand God bless. Um, oh, yeah. I just wanted to say I, I knew what you meant. Like, I agree. Don't buy into their stuff is not into what the heck rodney tucker yeah rodney tucker rodney tucker has been in this room we used to have where everybody who was on trinity radio would sign the desk that we had that we always used and rodney tucker's name is on that desk and rodney that is so that is such a yes you should never give your employers super chats i don't know what you're doing rodney (laughs) is a a professor dr rodney tucker is a professor and uh adjunct faculty member of trinity college bible and theological seminary and for what yes oh read that last last yes we get a reverse yeah he says a rock cannot think therefore he is not right Recovery from another shoulder. The pain meds are great, so I don't know how much I, I just <laughs> love y'all and what y'all are doing. Love also, you, Rodney. R.I.P. Mister Potato Head. Yeah. Yes, did you hear that? Yes, they're dropping the Mister. They're dropping the Mister. Even Gail King this morning on CBS this morning was irritated by this. Yes, and to our friends, look, there's a difference. And we need to make this clear because a lot of people get unfairly tagged with what goes under the banner woke because that's not one thing. So I want to. There's a difference between just being woke and then just being completely stupid. Dumb. And this kind of stuff is stupid. I just wanted to say that. But, you know that old song that uh, Shmo Yoho that bed intruder song. Yeah, I, lo- I my favorite line we quoted in my house all the time is. Boy, you are so dumb. It's like we you can't have really anything dumb. anymore. Mr. B- the Muppets are now bad. Mr. Potato Head's bad. We have to drop the Mr. Yeah. You know. All right. So free will, Barker says, is one of the most meaningful things about being human. And it's fake. But it's fake. And we pretend because it makes us but feel But see, I don't, I don't like that because, say, because it's not like baseball, right? Because baseball is something that was, you know, something we can trace its history cobbled together. Uh, it's it's relative insofar as the universe is concerned, uh, but it is objective insofar as within baseball you have to follow these rules, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's not like I can either pick this up or not pick this up. Mm-hmm. It's not the same kind of thing. And it's not that no. we're all pretending to have a social convention of I could have or couldn't have, but we all really know that we couldn't have. Because, number one, we don't all know that or agree with that. But when you play baseball, you're agreeing to a set of rules, right? Uh, to play the game in a certain way. We're not agreeing that we know that this is fake, but we're going to pretend like we have choices because that's not how most people experience their volition capacities. Right. right. So uh, Brando it, says yeah. they changed their minds about Mr. Head too much pushback. Well, that's good to hear. Good. Um, and and small, True ID says, count. True ID Apologetics says, thank you for your clarification on the word woke. Lord knows that term is so often misapplied. Right. So uh, you're right, and and actually later in the debate, and I encourage you to watch that debate with me and Dan Barker. But one of the th- that's one of the things that comes out is like he says, you know, it's like we say things like this that aren't true. Like, um, 
like uh, the sun came up, you know? And what I told him was, yeah, but as the stakes get higher with what we're talking about, we don't talk that way. For instance, we talk about the sun coming up. But if you work for NASA and you're a part of a mission to Mars, you sure better speak with precision and clarity about uh, planetary orbits and things like that, right? That's not, and, and same way with like, in terms of what we have an, a tuition, an intuition about. If a man is on a desert island, then he won't have any intuitions about chess or baseball, but he will have an intuition that I didn't have to do the thing I just did. Yeah. And that's an important distinction as well. Right. So this is, this is becoming a common trend. Um, and it's, we've got to push back on it as, uh, as Christians, because it, it has become so, it's almost a throwaway line now. Well, I mean, we know that not everything is what it seems to be or what we no, that's not true. A lot. Black, Braxton's wearing a black shirt. I'm wearing a maroon shirt. It's exactly. I'm wearing uh, reader glasses. It's exactly what you think it is. And this idea that it's become so fashionable just to foul off ideas we don't like, free will, you know, the beginning of a cosmos, whatever. Well, you know, design, telos in living creatures and, and in the cosmos. Well, it's not, things aren't what they, no, they are. For, for the most part, they are. This is just nonsense sophistry that people get into with this kind of and, and yeah i'm going to blame science for this because there's a, a lot of scientists who say and we don't even need the uh the scientific method anymore we just know that it's not what we think it is because it's more like this which there's no evidence for and this kind of stuff this nonsense has got to stop it's got to stop you really stop are it. wearing the color shirt that you're wearing yeah it's things like, are what they seem to be it's like what trent doherty said in his debate with t-jump on capturing christianity i think it was uh, T-Jump said something like, well, things aren't always as they seem. And Trent Doherty says, you're right. They're not always, but they usually are. Yeah. <laughs> More often than not, they're exactly okay. what they seem like. All right. Uh, let's just because some things aren't doesn't mean that all things aren't. You can't just use that as a, I don't want to concede that. So I'm going to say things aren't always what they seem. It's stupid. All right. So now this one's a little bit of a lengthier clip and that'll annoy Jonathan. But uh, this one is from the video that was banned from YouTube by, by uh, from our channel because I use clips from Joe Rogan. So it is possible, it is conceivably possible that that will happen right now because I did this about a year ago with um, some clips from, uh, from uh, oh, who's the guy? Who's the spiritual guy that used to be married to Katy Perry? Anyway, somebody will tell me. I, I did it with his show and, and it, it during a stream and it cut me off. So we'll see if it happens, but... But but it, but they released it back again. The banned video was Joe Rogan took the claim off. So we'll see if I can play it. Let's see what happens. It's a very common theme among um, religious thinkers that if it weren't for the existence of God or, or whatever, there'd be no reason to live. There'd be no right. reason to be a good person and so forth. And, yeah. you know, I think it's uh, it goes back to the motivation we have as having bodies versus being in a computer. Like there's plenty of reasons to do different things like in, in the big picture. My last. Okay, now hold on a second. There are plenty of reasons. Fine. That's fine. There are reasons. Reasons that you, you want to do something because it'll produce serotonin or dopamine in your brain. Um, it'll make you feel better about who you are. But there's not an ultimate meaning is the purpose here. There's not an ultimate purpose. You have to just make it up. And I want you to notice that Joe Rogan, I think Joe Rogan sniffs this out. You'll see in just a moment. Last book, I talk a lot about... Um you know, we, we, it's okay to admit that we as human beings have desires, 
that we, there are things we care about, that we want to be true. And you can talk about why that's true from evolution, from biology, and whatever, but it doesn't matter why, in some sense, we have goals. We're not completely aimless. Like, we want to survive, you know, we want to flourish, we want to be friends with people, we want to have families, whatever it is we want to do. All that we put together in terms of morality and ethics and meaning and purpose comes out of thinking hard and carefully, hopefully, about uh, how to systematize and grow those existing desires that we have into a way of living in the world. We don't need anything external to make that happen. We just need to sort of think about where we are already and try to make it better. You as a, an intelligent person who is also an atheist who thinks very deeply about things, what do you cling to as a, a purpose for life? Do you have one? Do you have like a, a when you, th you sit and think like, what's the point of all this? Do yeah. you notice what Joe Rogan has just said? He's like, he, he's just listened to Sean Carroll wax eloquent about how oh, we have these desires and we want to uh, make a better place out of the world and we want to do all these kinds of things. And Joe Rogan isn't saying it this way, but it kind of comes across as, yeah, okay, but whatever. But what's the point of all this, right? Do you have anything more than that? Is there anything that it's like, hey, what's the point of all this? Let's see what he says. Yeah. You. Do you? I don't have a single one. I don't have a monolithic purpose. I have plenty of intermediate-sized purposes, right? Um, otherwise, you know, why continue living? I think right. that uh, there's plenty of things I want to do, to achieve, to experience, to share, to give to the world, right? That's All a big feature, right? The give to the world. That Absolutely. You're, you're yeah. you, the way you interact with other human beings and your effect on other human beings gives you, a, gives you purpose. Yeah, and even— uh, To what end? To what end? This is the question. Like I, I, I and and listen, you atheists that are listening, like I, I'm, I feel you. I, I already know what I think some of you are would say to be saying, at, screaming at your phone right now, or screaming at the computer screen. And that is that. Uh, look, even if there's not some ultimate purpose, even if the universe is in, eventually going to. Uh, die this heat death or whatever, and all of human history is going to be lost, and all of art and literature and science and everything that Sean Carroll is doing to try and make the world a better place or a more educated place or whatever, his podcast, Rogan's podcast, this video, all of it's going to be gone and dead along with the works of Shakespeare and all religions and all philosophers, all gone, all over, never to be rediscovered by anybody, because there isn't anybody, right? That's that, Let's just make it clear what's happening. And I know you're going to say, yeah, but still, we're here right now, and there will be future generations, and we can make it better for them. Better as opposed to what? As opposed to what? What is, what is the scale that we're judging this on? To, what, what is this standard of ultimate goodness? Do we even know? Can we ever get there? Clearly not. What, what, and, and all of it's going to, this better world you're making is all for naught. It's going to decay. It's going to fall apart, and it will not be remembered. Just carry these thoughts with all of the comments about of greatness and, and that we're going to develop into, you know, this, you know, we're going to make the world a better place. Just remember, just remember the achievement that we're going to pass on to the next generation. Just remember what the eschatology is here for naturalism. Yeah, so sorry for playing that long clip, but I kind of handled that for myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they, because yeah, they're they're they're, they're all chatting. They don't care. They're, they're here for Trinity Radio. Yeah, and that was Trinity Radio. Uh, meow, meow, meow says calling rocks atheists is an insult to atheists, or maybe it's an insult to rocks. Either way, rocks are not atheists in any meaningful sense. Silly. Thank Amen. You. Meow, meow, yes, meow. Absolutely. And thank you for that super chat. So, yes, so much. You. 
I appreciate that. And there was another one from... Silly is the word you tell me to use instead of stupid. Yeah, but sometimes stupid works. Yeah. I was told by a pastor once, don't say stupid in my pulpit. Anywhere you use the word stupid, you can use the word silly. No, you can't. Drunk driving is silly. No, it doesn't work. Drunk driving is stupid. Yeah. All right, uh, let's see here. Uh, unless the atheist is 50-50 sure or unsure, they otherwise lean one way or the other. One right. option is more or less plausible to them, which is right. a statement about how reality is constructed, i.e. a worldview. Right. Just bringing the, the heat. Meow, meow, meow. New t-shirt idea. A black shirt that says, this shirt really is black. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, last one. To go into the thing. Last one. Well, hold on, hold on. Wait, we yeah, haven't talked ahead. about oh, this. Okay, go ahead. The fact that... I did on video. Yeah, I know, but the fact that he's... Well, but your last point, which was the only one that mattered, is the apologetic moment here, right? Where you insert this idea of better, which implies a gradation up to something. Well, there has to be an ultimate standard by which. So even the desire to make believe that you have meaning and purpose, even though you really believe there is no such thing, you're just trying to find a, it really becomes a coping me mechanism. And I think he pretty much said the same thing. You know, I, things I want to do make my life more meaningful and better and all that. But, but by what standard are you judging this idea of better as opposed to not, other than, you know, the very fact that you think that there is a better, contrary to your own reasoning yourself into thinking that there is no ultimate better, you have to judge that by something. And that's where you have to start coming back to inserting an objective reality that this is better than that. Yeah. And so and that leads you right back into the problem you're trying to avoid, which, you know, is there is meaning and purpose. And it's not something that we merely make up for ourselves, but it's something that you can epistemologically discover. And I think theists have a better way. Yeah. And, and, and this is related closely, as is the free will thing, to morality. One thing I didn't say about the Dan Barker clip, but I did say in the debate is, um, and this is sensitive, but but it's true. Um, and as you taught me, Pritchett, you test these kind of things at the fringes. Yeah. But racial haters like um, well, let's just take, uh, for example, what ha whatever you think about this politically. What happened to George F George Floyd last year? Um, we we want to say that was wrong um, and we want to say those people are to blame. But if everything was determined, then what you would say about that person that held his knee on George Floyd's neck or any other person who might be a racial hater, not saying anything about the person who did that, but in racial haters in general, they could you could say they couldn't help it. They couldn't help it. They were determined. Yeah. What were they what were they supposed to do? And we know that's not true. We know that's not true. So I think that uh, with these pretending Yeah, our things, whole justice system has to has to think that it could have been otherwise, right? Right. Uh, otherwise, uh, if it couldn't have been otherwise, then you know, you, what you're dealing with is just blobs of matter that you don't want to have to deal with anymore so that that some sort of situation is not repeated but it's but we all know that it's more than that there's something more sinister and there. within we all know that you just said like the all these things we've been discussing today except for rocks are atheists when we're talking about um our personal identity free will meaning morality all these kind of things are things that if you don't you might say, well, you're just going on intuition or what you'd be so awful if that was true. I'm not going with it'd be so awful if that was true. And that's why I believe this. What I'm saying is we ex we know we seem to know that that's not the case. And you say, yeah, but you're just getting that from intuition. 
Not entirely. However, if I was just getting it from intuition, our intuitions as personal agents are the, uh, these are issues about which with free will, meaning that these are issues that are the way we have direct access to, to them and to the data about them is through personal reflection and intuition. And everyone has the experience of, of their intuitions being correct coming to discover that. So just because something is you, you're, you're experiencing something intuitively or you think, you know, something intuitive that doesn't make you wrong. Right. It's not wrong. Just cause right. you, 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 under, you know, you came to know it. I intuit that I exist. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, okay. you're just, you're just a bundle of impressions. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. All right. The last one is morality. Now I haven't uh, played anything as far as I know from Matt Dillahunty on this channel in months, but I'm going to play something here. Two clips that I think where I think we see, I think that the overarching thing that Dillahunty is trying to present is consistent, consistently wrong, but I think it's consistent. But I want you to see where he even has to try and at first and he fixes it, but to kind of walk it back a little bit. But, but I want you to notice that the, the, these are things, again, we're not just here to make fun of atheists. The thing is, if you accept atheism, these are the things that often shake out and in some cases must shake out. And with this one, we find that Dill Hunty can't even say in any ultimate sense, you shouldn't suffocate me. So let's see what, how that goes. You're right, Adam. I can't survive without oxygen. That's just a physical fact. Depriving me of oxygen is bad for me. To the extent that we want to view this as moral, to the extent that we want to say, oh, you ought not deprive me out of oxygen. The is odd problem is one that I deal with in a number of different ways, but this is one's fairly simple. And that is, you ought if. If you care about my well-being, you ought not deprive me of oxygen. Problem solved. If you don't care about my well-being, well, there's no ought there. And this is why I was saying earlier that I don't think the universe has any intrinsic ought that you ought to care about. What, this is the first objection I get when I talk about secular morality. Well, why should I care about well-being, Matt? What in the universe tells me I should care about well-being? Nothing. But you do. Now, notice. Okay, now I'm not going to play me talking because Pritchett gets mad about that. But let me let me explain before we go to this next clip. Uh, let me let me just explain Dillahunty's perspective here as best I understand it. And if I'm wrong about this, Matt, and you see this, please forgive me. But I, I think this is right. His perspective is that there's nothing like so. It's like a game of chess, like we talked about a while ago. I use that all the time for this. The game of chess is a game created by mankind with a subjectively chosen goal. The subjectively chosen goal of the game of chess is to uh, checkmate the the opponent's king or whatever, right? That's the subjectively, like there's nothing in the universe says anything about that. We, we just made that up. We subjectively chose that. But once that's the goal, and once you assign the properties to the different, um, or, or the moves that are possible to the different pieces, then there is an objectively better or worse way to get to that subjectively chosen goal of playing chess. In a similar way, this morality that we're talking about here on Dillahunty's view is like, here's a bubble of people here and the people inside that bubble think a certain way. They've decided they subjectively chosen not for something like well-being mm -hmm. to be, that's their, that's like the checkmate. That's their subjectively chosen goal of their morality. Now, once that's the subjectively chosen goal, there's nothing in the universe says that's a good thing. Good has no meaning outside of the bubble. But once you've decided that's what we're calling good, then there are objectively better or worse ways to get there. That's not objective morality. 
That's still subjective morality. It's just within that subjective morality, there's objectively better or worse ways to get to the thing in your opinion one should do. Now, outside of that bubble over here, there's another bubble. And this one has in it, let's say, Christian morality. That's got mo a lot of the same things, right? There's overlap. But there's, a, there's other stuff over here. Over here, there's another bubble. And only one person's in that bubble. And he happens to be the local uh, psychopath. Yeah. And he doesn't care anything about what's in either of those bubbles. What you can't do if you're in Dillahunty's bubble is say that the people in those other bubbles should care about what you think in your bubble. Those things, there's no meta ethic here. There's nothing outside of your bubble that now everyone should care about that. Um, you, once you're outside of your bubble and you speak to other people's bubbles, you can't even say that what they're doing is bad. All you can say is outside of the, your bubble, I, I don't like what they do. Right. I don't like it. I don't prefer it. And they would say that about you. They think bashing people's heads in with a ball peen hammer is what they prefer to do. And you can't tell them that's bad. You can just say the people in my bubble think that's bad. So that's kind of how that works. And so here in this debate with uh, Matt, uh, with uh, David Wood, uh, this gets teased out just a bit. But watch how at first, Dillahunty doesn't quite want to say that. Obligation for someone who says... Um I just don't. I just don't care about those things. Or, we or I impose care about a moral obligation. No, no, that's what I mean. You're you're saying society imposes a moral obligation. The physical facts people. of the universe imposes a moral obligation. You for, just said for, that the universe no. doesn't impose. You the, said there's nothing in the universe that imposes the moral I, obligation. The physical facts of the universe mm -hmm. dictate what is better. And if we're going to talk about morality and define morality as seeking what is okay, now 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 notice what's happening here. Well, I'll let him finish. Better. That's the where physical the physical facts of the universe yes. dictate what is better for Listen us. Listen to David. Yes, it's better for me to live a healthy life than it is to not live. Does the universe? I mean, does the universe dictate? I mean, I mean, why would the universe care whether it you know coronavirus flourishes or we flourish? It doesn't. Exactly. But the physical facts of the universe show that if coronavirus is going to kill humans, and I am a humanist, and morality is about what humans do and not what viruses do, that it's in my best interest to work in opposition to coronavirus. I agree it's in your best interest. I also agree that it's in the best interest. And that's interest what morality and humanism is about, not about viruses. Okay, so you see there, once you understand what it is exactly, that Dylan Hunt, he's how he views this thing. Uh, the, the, the universe doesn't care about chess is basically what we're saying. It doesn't care about chess. But if you're a person who's playing chess and you agree to the rules of chess and you care about getting a checkmate on your opponent, well then, okay, you should do this. But there's but but that gives you no meta ethic. You can't speak outside of that. And what we saw at the beginning of that clip was an attempt to offload onto everyone else. Now, what Dylan Hunty will say about that in many times is everyone does care about well-being. Yeah, he argues like William Lane Craig. Right. We all know that torturing little babies for the fun of it is wrong. Deep down, y'all know it. The difference is deep down, everyone does know that. Deep down, everyone doesn't care. Deep down, yeah. everyone doesn't care about well-being like right. Matt Dylan Hunty thinks. Right. And that's why the Christian ethic here, I think, is But superior. William Lane Craig says deep down, you know that certain things are morally objectively wrong. And that's a lot more relatable than what Dillahunty is trying to sell here that deep down everyone. No, we look at it out into the world and, and even if secular humanism was an ideal uh, system of morality, not everyone wants it. And I'm not saying because they're not secular humanists. I'm saying not, we, it's obvious with, when you look around at the world as it is, 
that no, deep down, they don't care about the well-being of others. In fact, a lot of people on this planet that we share uh, oxygen with don't care about your well-being. They care about their own. So yep. that's what I know deep down because yep. I also recognize that we live in a fallen cosmos. So there we go. Um, if you accept, or let's say, unbelievers say the darnest things. These are some of the things that might shake out if you're an atheist, particularly if you're an atheist naturalist. Yeah. The self doesn't exist. Um, rocks are atheists, as well as babies. Free will is the most important, one of the most important things about being a human. And yet it's just pretend. We you just, don't, you we don't just remember pretend. where that's from, do you? Yes, my debate with Joe Myra. That's right. Free will is an illusion. Um, meaning, we, we pretend to the point that it depresses the heck out of Joe Rogan. Um, we come up with our own meaning. There's no ultimate meaning. And morality... Uh, morality is just playing a subjectively chosen game and Dillahunty can't even say you shouldn't suffocate me. Yeah. And, and that, that to my mind, when you're up there saying, if you don't care about my well being, there's nothing that says you, you're not suffocate me. That's where we're starting to see some livability problems develop. Right. And so atheists say the darnest things guys. Yeah. You don't exist. Free will is an illusion, meaning you don't have a purpose. Great. It's heartwarming. And that's why I said at the beginning of the show, like on the, on its face at first, atheism doesn't seem like, okay, well, I'm just saying God doesn't exist and, or I don't have a reason to believe that God exists. And so uh, here, here's, you know, why that is, why isn't he more obvious? Why evil in the world? Why? And, and you know, we could talk about those things. We have shows on all those things, but, but the point is that's one thing. But when you, when you take atheism and it's not just on its face anymore, but you subtract theism from a worldview and you supplant it with atheism or if you're a lack of belief person, whatever, however you frame that up, these are the things that shake out. And that is a very bizarre worldview that takes away everything, you know, most of what's meaningful to you out of life and doesn't match what you deep down know to be true. And you don't live consistent with it anyway, because take Alex Rosenberg, for example, my words don't mean anything. My book has no meaning. I don't exist. Blah, blah. Go on down the list. Right. And then you continue to live as if everything you actually believe about reality is false. You're not living. It's unlivable. And the fact that you can't live consistent with it lets you know that there's a problem already. All right. The way I live my life is consistent with Christian theism. You know, <coughs> yeah. this is where I'll, I'll ding that bell for the presuppositionalists. And in you're case somebody right. thinks that what you're saying is, oh, you're perfect. You live always like Jesus. You're consistent. No, that's not what I said. No. He's consistent with Christianity in that when he doesn't live like Jesus, he says, man, why did I do that dirtbag thing I did? Right. Jesus I, wouldn't like that. Right. Like the world as it is, is consistent with my beliefs and my beliefs are consistent with the way the world is as it is. So that's, that's where I'm sympathetic. I know you don't like presuppositionalism, but that's where no, I'm sympathetic. I agree it, with what they're that, saying. Yeah. I don't like it as an apologetic strategy. Okay. Um, I, I like the best of it as an apologetic stretch. So this has been this has been fun. I don't see anything that I missed necessarily. Okay, we'll do a couple. I, I, we had a couple of questions. One was about one was. From oh yeah, the Romans seven. Romans thing. seven. Uh, who is the I? Is it uh, prosopopoeia, which is a dramatic uh, speech uh, device, a speech in character, so to speak. Um, is it Paul, um, about his current life? Is it Paul about his former life? You know, is the, is the character, 
some people like Ben Witherton would argue Adam, um, representation of Israel under the law in the flesh instead of the spirit. Um, that's who I, that's, that's what I think it is. It's a dramatic, uh, uh, speech of Israel under the law in the flesh. It's not about a, a, a Paul or a typical believer. It, it would include Paul, uh, as a, insofar as he used to identify as an unbelieving Israelite in the flesh. But that's that's what I think that's representation of the eye. Uh, people like Ben Witherington, which uh, our own buddy Nick Quinn, who's somewhere in the comments, he would he agrees, he argues that the eye is Adam. Um, a Jamie Russell just said, preach it as a Calvinist. Uh, preach it is what some people call you. Right, preach no, it. No, no, I'm not a Calvinist. But Calvinist, speaking of Calvinists, um, Robert Raymond thinks that it was Paul, but Paul was talking about his life as a non-Christian. Um, which, yeah, but that just gets subsumed into, into my thing. I think uh, Nick and I were going to go through all of those options in a Trinity Radio Extra at some point, which I know that I haven't uploaded a video in a while. Uh, I've been busy um, or snowed away from the office. But yeah, we'll do that video, Nick, if you're still out there. But yeah, that my view is, is it is a representative. It's a speech in character of an Israelite under the law in the flesh. Um, this is going to be the last question. Uh, I've enjoyed this today. Derek Baylor says, how would you counsel someone in the middle of crippling depression from a heartache from a broken relationship? Well, um, I'm not a counselor. I want to make that clear. I'm not a mental health professional, although I've had several counseling classes. But those things often are very nuanced. You need mm -hmm. to know the specifics of what's actually going on. But just going from what I've seen here, I would say that, um, first of all, the spiritual side of that, and probably the most important side of that uh, for us as Christians, is to constantly remind ourselves and remind others. And this doesn't help so much in the moment. That's why it's good to talk to someone about this in a cool moment, is that ultimately um, the relationship that will that will never fail us is our relationship with Jesus. And I know that sounds like a Sunday school answer, but if you depend on him for your fulfillment, for your identity, for um, th that, that will sustain you even when other people fail you. In terms of uh, depression, there can be medical reasons for that, along with um, psychological things that are not necessarily medical and spiritual things. And so I would encourage them to talk to someone. And, you know, one thing that most people don't know is that often churches in your community um, will will have um, relationships with counseling groups that they can recommend you. And you can go talk. That person can go talk. Even if they don't go to the church, they can go talk to those counselors and get some actual professional help on these things, because it could yeah. be it could be that you need something like that. And, and a good talk with someone like that would really help. Um, it'd be life-changing, but it also could be that, 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 that occasionally, and I know this is controversial, but there could be a chemical imbalance that's gone on and you need medication. And so, uh, but as far as for what we do in terms of the spiritual side of things, I think just finding a realistic way to encourage them, uh, to walk with Jesus daily and spend time with the Lord in prayer. Well, uh, it, yeah, I mean, my answers would be different if I knew it was like a romantic relationship versus you know just like a deep friendship or whatever because i mean you would like if something happened to uh between braxton and sarah like your, your wife i'd counsel that differently than if it was like braxton and andy had a falling out and it, you know it created a you know andy's a childhood friend of braxton's 
And so, you know, you'd have to, I'd have to know more about what kind of advice. But I think generally I echo what you said. Um, All but right. I know that, that some relationships, I mean, just think, if, what, do you, what do, if we had a falling out? Never you would be happen. devastated. Never going to happen. You would be devastated. I would, and so I will not happen. Right. Don't uh, forget, yeah. folks. March 26th, 2021. Exodus Rediscovered. And Computer Theist, I'll answer your question. I've not read that book. Exodus Rediscovered. You want to see that documentary. Yeah. Tell them Trinity Radio sent you, all right? Have you read that book? He thinks we never answer his questions. You never answer my questions. I'm done answering questions. I don't think he's read that book. He might I'm have. done answering questions. Uh, let's go to the title card. We'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.